So we're going to share communion in, in about a half an hour or maybe less, if I'm thrifty and sharing the word of God this morning. But uh, before we get there, I just want to... I just want to share some words from the book of James with you. We've been, we've been uh, ministered to out of the book of James. I started with a couple of messages, and then Paul shared a fantastic message a couple of weeks ago, and I want to affirm that word. And then Pastor Emily brought a fantastic word last week, and I want to affirm that word. And so we've, we've been in some really great learning uh, through the book of James, and I find in my life group experience, it's deep. And, and we're, we're all finding a challenge that is coming to us through Jesus' brother, who is known as James, who wrote the book of James. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you the section of verses that we're going to be looking at today. Last week, Pastor Emily very, very capably brought you through the first 12 verses of, of uh, James chapter 3. And I'm going to take you through to the end of that same chapter, so verses 13 through. I'm gonna take you through. Let me read that to you. You can read it from the wall behind me. But here's how it reads. Who is wise and understanding among you? So Paul, or sorry, James, brings out this question and he launches a thoughtfulness. He launches a consciousness. He launches a mindfulness. And he does it with a question. Some of the best leaders ask good questions. And James brings it out right here. He says, who is understanding and or wise among you? He goes on to say, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, it's unspiritual. And then he really roots it, and he says it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So Father, we ask you to anoint the word today. I pray that these words from James would be illuminated and that we would find a revelation in the message today. And may we take it into the week that's in front of us. May we discuss it in our groups, but may we live it in our lives. We pray it in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So James is speaking into a number of things so far this, this series. First of all, he says to us, if you are someone who has faith in Christ, you are one where we will see works of love taking place. And Paul shared so adequately and brought us to a place where he said, faith has to show works, and the works are described by love. 
And then Pastor Emily last week brought to us a message where our faith impacts the way in which we speak. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, Jesus said. And she reminded us of Jesus saying that. And we know that if we are truly a people of faith connected with a God of love, that our words will be seasoned with gentleness and with love. And so we were, we were challenged last week very, very adequately challenged. And to be honest with you, as I was away for a week, I I listened in and I felt conviction. I felt conviction and the Holy Spirit literally brought to mind things that I have said over the last couple of years in, in moments where I might have been wrought or I might have been angry or I might have been disillusioned or I might have been something. And, and I said something to someone and I, he, the Holy Spirit brought specific circumstances and I'm in relationship with those people today, but I felt compelled having heard the message to go and make reparations and to bring repair. And, and I'm sure that those individuals probably have moved on and thought nothing of it, maybe even thought of it as just a moment Brian was upset. But for me, I felt that, that I needed to deal with these words that brought pain and, and were, were uttered in anger or uttered in disappointment. And so, so I came away from last week taking care to take care related to some unhealthy words that I have shared. And I hope that that happened in your life as well. Because this is literally what James is all about. It's about where our faith sort of meets reality. And and spirit, true spirituality is not ethereal, it's not cerebral, it's a heart thing, and it means to live out in our everyday lives. So I just pray that somehow you have been affected by this series so far. Where I want to go today is your faith needs to not only impact your works related to love and your words related to love, but your faith needs to impact your everyday relationships. And there needs to be peace, and there needs to be harmony emanating out of your network of relationships. And this is what James is bringing to us in the teaching today. He gives us some really practical advice. So today we're gonna look at what he has to say about relating wisely to others, relating wisely to others. And verse 18 is the key verse. In this section of verses, verse 18 is absolutely key, and this is what he says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. So I want you just in your mind's eye for a moment to think about you know, the quality and or the effect of your relationships. Let's just look at them over the last year or two. And I ask you this, has there been a moment in time where, where you have been in the middle of conflict or you have been in the middle of some sort of 
let's say, a relational mix that is toxic. Possibly there has been anger or there has been envy or there has been some characteristic that James mentions here, but it was a mess. And the question that you and I need to ask is, what seeds did we sow into that morass, if I could use that term, or into that, into that relationship and its quality or characteristic? Like, what did we sow into it ourselves? Because James says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. Not toxicity, not anger, not dysfunction, but rather goodness. Two words that are used in this chapter is righteousness and goodness, and they are byproducts of people who sow peace. So James says every day in every relationship you're planting seeds, seeds of anger, seeds of jealousy, seeds of confidence, seeds of peace, seeds of insecurity, many different kinds of seeds, and so you will inevitably reap something, some sort of of outworking related to what it is that you're sowing into your relationships. And so you might ask, how can I plant seeds of peace? How can I be a peacemaker? How can I have peaceful relationships? Well, James offers you a gift, and the gift is wisdom. The gift is wisdom. What one of us don't want wisdom in the midst of our relationships? We need to learn how to be wise in the way in which we act towards other people. Often we treat people in very foolish ways and provoke the exact opposite behavior that we would normally like to see someone functioning in. A lot of smart people are often less wise when it comes to personal relationships. James, in this passage, he does three things for us. He defines real wisdom, he shows how it differs from human wisdom, and then he details how it operates in the midst of our relationships. So the first, first thing he says in verse 13 is that wisdom is a lifestyle. Wisdom is a lifestyle. It has nothing to do with your intelligence, it has everything to do with your relationships and your character. Who is wise and understanding among you, James says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now imagine James comes into this church and he says, may I see your hands, all those, he says, who are wise. Just raise your hands if you're wise. And if you're silly enough to raise your hand, he would say, okay, prove it to me. Show me. Show me your wisdom by way of your lifestyle. It's not a matter of what you say with your lips, but it's a matter of how you live your life in everyday circumstances. It's not a matter of words, but of your works. Not so much the diplomas that are on your wall, but your disposition that really shows how wise you are. Wisdom has more to do with character in relationships than it has to do with education and intelligence. 
We're not poo-pooing education or intelligence. There is a whole, whole battery of, of studies in the area of emotional intelligence, and that's utterly important when it comes to our relationship. But Paul is, or sorry, James is speaking to some character issues and the wisdom that needs to sort of be growing in yours and my life. And, and we'll see peace happening in our relationships. We'll see goodness. We'll see peacemaking taking place. So in verses 14 to 16, James says that a lack of wisdom is what causes problems for us. All kinds of problems. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a relationship and, and you come to the conclusion that you're not smart enough for it? In other words, there's complexities and the level of complexities are such that you don't know whether to go left or to go right or go straight down the middle. You're just not sure. I mean, I pride myself in, in being good at relationships, but there are times where I'm humbled, severely humbled by God because I find myself sometimes in a relationship or two where I don't know. I don't know whether to go left. I don't know whether to go. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I find myself deprived of wisdom. And of course, James is the book that says, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will pour it out abundantly. So we have hope when we come to these roadblocks in our relationships. So wisdom has more to do with your character in relationships than it does with your education or intelligence. And in verses 14 to 16, James says that a lack of wisdom can cause a lot of problems and so he lists some of the problems. In verse 14 he says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it. Don't deny the truth that you have this going on in your life. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, it's unspiritual, even of the devil. So it has its roots in Satan's lies. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So lack of wisdom causes all kinds of disorder and problems and dysfunction. How can I know if I'm wise in how I relate towards other people? Today we're going to take a wisdom test. We're going to test our wisdom. We're going to see how wise we really are when it comes to the relationships we find ourselves in. And the test will begin in James chapter three, verse 17. So are you ready? Are you ready for this? All right, here we go. Some people hate tests, you know? They just do, and they're thinking, right now your anxiety level has just gone up, you know, a hundredfold. Stay with me. The test is a teaching. And you only need to ask yourself, how am I doing with this teaching? So, number one, if I am wise, I will not compromise my integrity. So think in the midst of your relationships, think of the challenge that are in those relationships. James, early in chapter one, says that a double-minded person 
is unstable in all their ways. And he's speaking to all aspects of their life. A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. The question of integrity speaks of not being double-minded, but being singular in your focus. You live for an audience of one. You live for an audience of one, and that audience, of course, is God. And the only way to truly live with integrity in the midst of all our relationships is to live to the audience of one. And it's hard because truly we are pleasers by nature and we often live to the audience of many. We want everyone to love us. We want everyone to like us. We don't want to upset anyone. And the truth of the matter is, is that that produces a double-mindedness which ultimately in the midst of relationships does create some tension and some toxicity. But James is saying, I'm challenging you to function with integrity and live to the audience of one. And in 1 John 3.3, this word wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. That, That word is used to refer to Christ's character. That word purity, it it literally means like Christ. He was singular. When he walked the face of the earth, he, he would say things like, in the midst of many religious people who were more highly educated than Jesus, if you can imagine, in a worldly sense, and and he would make statements like, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I hear the Father doing. He was singularly connected to God. And it didn't matter how it rattled the educated ones. It didn't matter how it rattled the religious ones. It didn't matter. Jesus lived for the audience of one. That's integrity. That's integrity. How are we doing when it comes to the number of audiences we live to each and every day. It's okay, we can be honest. But James is trying to bring remedy to this whole issue throughout all the chapters in James. He's trying to move us away from duplicity to singularity. And he's saying you're gonna be so much more healthy. Your relationships are gonna be so much more healthy if you can learn to live for the audience of one, namely God. And he says, and when you do that, Christ-likeness will flow through you. Number two, if I am wise, I will not antagonize towards anger. I think one of the the key words here is, I won't escalate the situation. I won't escalate the situation. If I am wise, I will not antagonize or provoke anger towards anger. I won't make you angry. Wise people work at maintaining harmony. They're not always looking for a fight. Wisdom, James says, is peace-loving. Have you ever met someone who is always arguing, always looking for a fight? I heard about one guy who was so argumentative he would only eat food that disagreed with him. I'm sorry, that's as good as I get when it comes to jokes. 
If you're smart, you don't antagonize people's anger. Proverbs 23 says, any fool can start arguments. The wise thing to do is to stay out of them. I was traveling up towards, well, let's just say Oxbridge area recently, and I was just moving along, and I I noticed that the guy in front of me was creeping along, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm moving on. So I passed this guy. Well, it's so interesting that this guy I became enraged that I passed him. And I, I passed him just mildly over the speed limit. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sort of reading his mind, but I, I could tell that he's doing the speed limit and, and he's upset that I passed him. We've all met drivers like this. So he's driving a hot car, much hotter than mine. And he downshifts, blasts past me. Like, I mean, he blasts past me. He's doing a speed that I could only dream of doing. <laughs> and, and he, but then he gets back in the lane and slams on the brakes. You've met this person. (laughs) I slam on the brakes, and in the rearview mirror, I could see his face. He's laughing, but his wife is smacking him. (laughs) Just like this, I could see it all happening. And then, and then, interestingly enough, he rolls the window down, and a gesture of, okay, I've been an idiot, I'm sorry, go ahead, pass, pass. So I'm thinking, oh, well, he's seen the light. That's so cool. And I pull left, and I'm going to pass him. And what does he do? He accelerates. (laughs) And he's laughing at me. And I'm like, really? Like, what is this? You know? So so what do I do? Honestly, what I did was I just slammed. No, I didn't slam him. But... (laughs) But I pulled him behind and I thought, I'm not playing this game. And I followed him all the way to Uxbridge. Right? Like it's just, it was just one of those moments. I've had a couple of those moments where people get insulted that you pass them. And and I'm asking myself, am I gonna be a person? Because I to be honest with you, in my own personal nature, if I had a hotter car, I would have dusted him. (laughs) Yeah, what if I know it? I know it. So part of the submission was me recognizing what limitations I have. So James talks about humility. That was a humble moment for me. I just, I recognized what I was capable of and I just got in behind and submitted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but there are people, honestly, where there is this escalation that needs to take place for them and they're they're hurt or they're angry or there's some sort of wellness issue in their life and we have to ask ourselves are we going to one-up them are we going to co-escalate or how are we actually going to resolve a conflict that we find ourselves in and of course James brings in words like humility and submission and 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 not being selfish and, and so we're given permission to not win. We're given permission to honor God. 
And, and, and there's a freedom in that, that that James wants us to walk in. So if I'm wise, I will not antagonize others towards anger. And I've given you some words there, words like we can antagonize people through comparing them. You're, you're just like your brother. You're just like your mother. You're just like your father. Or, you know, we make a comparison that is less than generous and we raise the ire of the person that we're talking to, or we injure their self-image. And, and James would say, let's not do that. You know, and then, he, and then there's the whole idea of condemning. It's all your fault. You should be ashamed of yourself. And you lay on the guilt. You always, you never, you ought to, you should, you shouldn't. These are some of the phrases we use, and they're unwise in the midst. They're not seeds of peace. They escalate either a brokenness in the person we're talking to or some form of anger and aggression. Three, contradicting. How do you like to be interrupted in the middle of a sentence? It's irritating. James says, if you are wise, you don't sweat the small stuff. And William James says, the secret of wisdom is knowing what to overlook. Some things are not worth the fight. Wisdom is peace-loving. And then I want to add one more word. It's not in the slides. It's a crazy word, and it's a word that we don't use much anymore. And the word is crossness. When you are cross with someone, you are angry towards them. And crossness is this disposition of being on edge and living angry. And and crossness is something that James warns us against, Paul warns us against, Jesus warns us against. It's this disposition of angry and irritability. It's a snappishness. And, and it's ill-tempered. And, and we're encouraged to deal with that. And one of the ways you deal with the disposition of being ill-tempered is you get some counseling. You get some counseling. I mean, it's good to read God's word. The rock, God's word's gonna put, put God's finger on it for you, even define it for you, and you're gonna gain some understanding, but you may not yet be at the place of wisdom related to your irritability, and you need to get to that place of wisdom, and the Holy Spirit will help you, but sometimes you need some counseling, you need some help to figure out where that disposition of anger and irritability is coming from, because it's not natural. I mean, it's human but God would have you joyful. God would have you generous. God would have you happy. God would have you in a place where you can overlook offense and just pray for someone when they have, you know, done something, like slam on their brakes in front of you. God would have you be generous related to these instances in our lives. Crossness is something we need counseling for. We need to work it out. We need to figure out where are we hurt? Where is our miserability coming from? And this is what we must do, as work on it. So if I'm smart, if I'm wise in relationships, I won't compromise my integrity, I won't antagonize your anger, 
Proverbs 14, 29 says, a wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. Thirdly, I won't minimize your feelings. Wisdom is considerate. And considerate means mindful of the feelings of others. There's a common mistake that if I don't feel the way you feel, then your feelings must be invalid or illogical or irrational or silly. And James says wise people are considerate. They don't minimize other people's feelings. If I'm wise, I will not minimize your feelings. I will hear you. I will give thought. I will ask you more questions so as to understand better. Questions are awesome. Judgments are not. Questions are helpful. Judgments are not. Questions are amazing. Wise is the person who asks good questions. Unwise is the person who judges. Once you judge, you shut it down. In asking questions, you leave it open. Questions shows wisdom, and it brings peace, and it brings understanding. Number four, I won't criticize your decisions or even your suggestions. A wise person can learn from anyone. They're not defensive. They are, not, they are open to reason. They're not stubborn. They are willing to listen and learn. Wisdom is submissive, James says. The word is used only one time in the New Testament, the word that he's using. And it, and it doesn't really mean submissive. It means reasonable. It means willing to listen. Willing to be open to ideas and suggestions. The Revised Standard Version says, it's open to reason. The Living Bible says, it allows for discussion. It's easily entreated. Are you a reasonable person? Can your kids reason with you? Or do you shut them down and seek obedience without explanation? The Bible says, if you're wise, you're reasonable. You're open for discussion. You're not one who has said, I have made up my mind. And there comes a time when parenting that you as the parent have got to have the final say. But you don't go there immediately. You enter into a time of learning with your child, sorting out what it is that they're feeling what it is that they're wanting, what it is that they're needing, and you're validating them by listening to them. And you're helping them realize that they're co-creators with you, related to what is life. And I promise you, if you start that early, you will have less issues as they enter into the willful years in their teens. If you allow them to be co-creators, and again, I'm not saying to abdicate your ultimate direction as a parent, but I am saying we can allow our kids to participate in the wisdom of our homes. We can share the principles, we can let them know the parameters, but we can ask them questions and help them in those questions to see what they cannot yet see. 
That's good parenting. Number five, if I'm wise, I won't emphasize your mistakes. I won't emphasize your mistakes. Wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit, James says. Do you jump on people every time they blunder? Every time they they make a fault or they fumble it? Do you always use everybody in your family as the butt of a joke? Wisdom is full of mercy. We talked about this as a staff a couple of weeks ago. We're going through a book right now. And we talked about the value of failure. And so we, we spent considerable time talking as a staff about what it's like to live in an environment and work in an environment where failure is not seen as a negative, but rather as a step towards learning, towards wisdom. And mercy must prevail in an environment like that. Wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. Good fruit is kind actions. It's something that you do. You don't just show sympathy. You, you, you don't just say, I feel for you. You, you. you bring something to bear with that feeling. You do something that, that proves that your words aren't hollow. You act. You compassionately do something so as to help someone when they are in the midst of a failure moment, when they are in the midst of a fall, when they are in the midst of something broken in their lives. You do something practical to help them. And then finally, if I'm wise, I won't disguise my own weaknesses. A mark of a wise person is that they don't try to hide and disguise their own weaknesses. Wisdom is impartial and it's sincere. These two words in the Greek, they sound similar, they sound like hypocrite, by the way. And that is where we get the word from. It means without hypocrisy, straightforward, right on. What you see is what you get. In the Greek theater, they used to often would have like just a couple or three actors and they would move from part to part simply by transitioning a mask. And then they would take on a new person with a new mask. And of course, we do that. And the word that is actually suggested here is that multiple masks are used by some people and it's unhelpful. And, and, and so what we need to be is sincere and authentic and transparent with each other. That is what God calls for us to be. Someone said to me once, actually I heard it through the grapevine, and you know, someone, someone like I, I tend to share vulnerably here. I, I tend to let you know when, when I'm sort of less than. Well, not sort of, that's, that's like copping out. I am less than in situations, right? And, and I try to be honest and open with you and, and, and without bleeding all over the place, so to speak, but to be honest and authentic and to say, man, I struggle with this too. And I remember, you know, hearing through the grapevine that so, someone had said to someone else, hey, I need my pastor to be a hero, not a zero. <laughs> Come on. I mean, like, is that the options? Like, hero or zero? Like, ah, oh, man, I got to live somewhere in between, you know? I, 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 
listen, I know what you mean when you say hero. In other words, I need to live up to my teachings. I, I get that. But listen, I, not always do I, right? And the idea of being a zero, I mean, hopefully nobody considers anyone here a zero, right? Let, let's not move into such drastic thinking. And, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. And, and James says, don't be a hypocrite. Be real. And, and be honest. Be transparent. And, 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 and don't hide or disguise where you're broken. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. I love groups. I love life groups because it's in life groups that we can confess to each other. I mean, don't let that keep you from going. We don't, you know, do lots of confessions. But, but over time, we get to know each other and someone will just speak up and say, man, oh, just, just pray for my wife and I this week. We're, we're bickering and it's, it's, I know it's not good for us and I, I just want to get on another track and would you guys just pray for us? Absolutely. As if anyone in my group doesn't know what it means to bicker. 100% will take this before the Lord. Right? So, very important that we don't disguise or hide, but that we're open. And in our openness, we actually encourage each other towards that very same thing of being real and getting help. Being real and getting help. It's so, so important. Wisdom is impartial and it's sincere. Proverbs 28, 13 says, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. I was on a, just a short golfing trip with seven other guys last week. And uh, one of the guys was saying that in his business relationships, he has found that self-deprecating humor is magic. And I asked him, I said, wait a minute, what, what, I, I think I knew what he meant, but I wanted him to explain, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean when you say it's magic? And he says, Brian, when you make light of yourself, when you sort of see yourself as not everything, and, and you make a joke about something you did that was silly, and People lighten up. People start to look at you as someone like them. And by the way, self-deprecating humor is actually a communication device, and it's called bridging. Bridging. What's the name of our church? Bridge. And the reason we named it that is because we believe in healthy bridge building good communication devices that actually open up people's hearts towards ongoing conversation. Self-deprecating humor is not taking yourself too seriously, recognizing that you have faults, and being willing not to make fun of sin, but to make fun of self in the sense of, man, I can't believe, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I remember losing it one time, dot, dot, dot. You know, or I, you know, I remember this, or I remember that, and, you, and, and a person just opens up to you when you stop disguising what is real in your life. How do you rate in the wisdom test today? 
How do you rate? I got good news. No matter how you rate, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. So I want to pray with you right now. Father, in Jesus' name, just before we head into communion, all of us through these series of questions can give thought to where we're at. Are we peacemakers? Are we provokers? Do we escalate? Do we de-escalate? Are we peacemakers? Promoting peace and goodness in our relationships. Lord, sometimes it's just hard to rise to that level because we're hurting. We're insecure. And in that insecurity, we become self-oriented and we fight for recognition and we fight for respect and we do it sometimes at the cost of the people that we love the most. So Lord, from this teaching today, may we follow James and may we be a people who live out our faith with our families and our friends in such a way that we promote peace, that we promote goodness. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, so what I'd like you to do is just take these elements that you were given when you first came in and if you somehow missed it, would you just raise your hand and we have hosts and ushers who are willing to just rush over to you and, and give that to you. Just raise your hand high, okay? And wave it if you need to, to get their attention and we'll get you some communion. So the Apostle Paul, he, he had a, a supernatural moment with Jesus. He was in a dream-like sequence. And one of the things that Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul is something that he didn't experience in person. The other disciples did, and that is the Last Supper. The other disciples had the opportunity to be served by Jesus, both bread and wine. And Jesus took the time to teach them that the bread represented his broken body, the willingness that he had to surrender his body to the crucifixion. And that the wine that he was offering and they were passing around represented his shed blood in which we put our hope because it's his shed blood that pours over us spiritually and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but not only cleanses us, empowers us. And the Apostle Paul didn't have that experience with Jesus in person, but he was given it in a dream. And this is what he says. He says, for I have received from the Lord what I'm now passing on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take this little wafer, if you would, and I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, and then we're going to consume. Father, in Jesus' name, we are so grateful for you surrendering your physicality 
your body to a torturous end, not only physically, but emotionally. You bore the sins and the brokenness of all humanity. And this little wafer represents your willingness. It represents your heart of love. It represents your broken body. And so we thank you for it. And we eat with thankfulness in your precious name. Amen. Go ahead. And then Paul goes on, continuing to communicate about what he had received from Jesus in his dream. He said, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, meaning Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It used to be the law. I mean, God gave the Ten Commandments and some 600 other laws for the people of Israel to follow. And the reason he did that was to indicate to them that they couldn't. Simply put, he laid before them expressions of holiness and what holiness looks like, and he did it in the form of law. And the priests, their job was to lay this out on a week-to-week basis, the 613 laws of the Torah. And every week, they would come to an understanding that they couldn't. They just couldn't. And so then they would lay out a sacrifice, and blood would be shed as they learned that they couldn't. And Jesus was the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. We no longer live by the law, but rather by the flow of Christ's blood in and through our lives. We are a people who have been empowered. In fact, the Bible says that the law is now written on our hearts. It's not on a tablet, it's written in our hearts. And the way it's written on our hearts is by way of us accepting the work of Jesus on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and he begins to communicate into our hearts what is right and what is wrong. What is right and what is wrong. Go left, go right, go straight. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives through Christ's shed blood. And we are empowered, not just justified or made right, we are empowered. So Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to let your blood flow over Calvary. And it becomes our righteousness. It becomes our right living. It becomes our right choices. It becomes the way in which the Holy Spirit can speak truth into our lives and dispel falseness. Your shed blood empowers us towards a great future, and we're thankful for it in your precious name. Amen. Go ahead and drink.